You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Being a severe insecure person, one thing I still had to do was when I wrote a song, I had to play it for somebody and tell those guys when they write that song, play it for their friends, play it for whoever wants to hear it and see what they react. See if they like it. See if they don't take take it all. If they don't, if they talk through it, that's OK. Doesn't mean it's a bad song. Just play it for people. Get used to the scrutinizing, get used to playing a song in front of a whole bunch of people going, hey, man, check out my new song. And nobody says nothing, you know, go, OK, well, they didn't care for that one. Well, I'm going <laughs> to write another one next week. Hey, man, I wrote another song. Check this out. And go, oh, man, dude, that's a great song. You go, yeah. And you go home and you build upon that because yeah. you, you that's the only way you can get better. You, you, you got to get shit on to get better. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of 2020. I'm Siobhan Cronin here, as always, with Benny Goodman and Corey Peza, welcoming this week an amazing, amazing guest referred to us by by our dear friend Shannon Larkin, the incredible Doug Pinnock of King's X, of his own solo projects, amazing philosopher, human. We had a great conversation yeah. with him. I'm so excited. Anyone who's ever been like, ah, I'm too old to start this. Fuck you. Doug says, fuck you. Just get he it totally done. does. <laughs> he is, yeah, he is the perfect example of how music keeps you young and has yeah. some incredible stories to tell about it. He uh, also backs Dave Chappelle as a uh, as an open, openly uh, gay man that plays bass and is African American. So, but you'll Which learn about that in, in part, part two. two. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so ignore what Ben just said, and we're going to continue Har- on with part one. Harbo. Part one. <laughs> show good. With Doug Pinnock starting Ugh. right now. Hello, welcome to another episode of 2020'd. Super excited today to welcome the one and only Doug Pinnock of King's X. He's got a new solo record out right now, Joy Bomb. And also, I heard a little bit about something called Grinder Blues that I'm excited to get into. Uh, <laughs> Doug, thank you for joining us. How are you doing? No man? problem. No problem. Just hanging out, drinking, and smoking weed. Woo! Join the club. You're gonna Cheers. Fit right in here. That's, that's right. Here we go. I, this I explains just, why you're such good friends with Shannon Larkin. It makes so I, much it, sense now. I love Shannon. Shannon is a very, 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 very special friend of mine. I love him to death. How can you not love that guy? Yeah. Can I tell you something hilarious? Uh, Doug yes. can attest to this. So sure. I had asked Shannon when I went down and played keyboards for the Apocalypse Blues revival, um, his blues band. Um, hey man, you know, you seem to know everybody. Could you, can you get me a few people for the show? Like, that'd be really cool. And he's like, yeah, man, I wrote my buddy Doug a letter and, um, it's like, it was like five page soliloquy, <laughs> dude. It wasn't an ask. It was literally like a, a diatribe. And it, I was like, man, if I haven't got any more guests, I'm going to feel really bad. But the funny thing is he asked me, he goes, do you, 
do you know who Doug Pinnock is? And I, at that very moment, I was literally framing my signed naked oh, CD. Oh, oh, and oh. you sent me this cool little JBL thing and I put uh, your little King's oh, X, but I, I had this yeah. in my hand. Oh, and I was man. like, I just manifested <laughs> Doug Pinnock for real. Hey, hey, <laughs> it's good to see those things that, you know, I sent them out with all the love I have in my heart, man. You know, and uh, it means a lot to me that you got that. Yeah, well, we're we're so excited to have you. And I, I actually just recently listened to an episode you did with our friend, Doc Coyle, who's been on our show before. He's a oh, good, friend, good friend of ours. So I feel like I've been hanging out with you for the past couple of days, just listening awesome. to other interviews. We should give Doc a quick shout out. He just released the, yeah. uh, the new Bad Wolves record. So if you guys want to check that out, it's very, it's very, you very believe it's it. amazing. I'll check it out. It's amazing, amazing. So. Yeah, but- I, I mean, Doc. Everything Doc's done is amazing. I mean, right all the way back to God forbid, and he yeah. writes about a bunch of stuff, and he's opinionated, and well, he's kind of like a he, he's like a diplomat for the United States. Like if he I really could have is. a representative for us, I would send him. Like he's way more cultured <laughs> than ninety nine percent of the politicians out there. absolutely but yeah in listening to your your interview with him you have such an amazing spirit and like everyone here has said it makes a lot of sense that you're friends with shannon larkin like very very cool guy it seems and i'm really excited to hear (laughs) about your story and um i guess i'll jump in i'm kind of the one in the group that likes to ask about everyone's backgrounds even outside of music and um you have a really interesting story i mean you've obviously lived a lot longer than us and experienced a lot of incredible <laughs> cultural things and musical things and a lot of breakthroughs and you had cryogenic freezing i just want to point that out like doug you, how old are you 71 that is insane and you look amazing <laughs> do you and sammy hagar and like ray kurzweil drink formaldehyde yeah like what the fuck's wrong with you man like you go back this... to your video in like 1988 you look exactly the fucking same but except with different hair it's just different 80... levels of hair 88 i was 38 oh my god amazing. that's exactly how old i am now wait so nuno betancourt said he was a vampire is that is that something going out there in la i, I, like, I yeah. wonder because nuno doesn't age either last time i saw him it's like Whoa, dude! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we had him on. We had him on the show a couple weeks ago, and uh, yeah, I think there's something going out in the West Coast there that we need to get in on it here on the East. Because I'm on the East Coast, and I'm freezing my ass off in my basement. Well, he's always like squinting, I'm so he losing, doesn't have all the uh, underbag I'm, of his I'm eyes. I'm losing years off my life it's, just it, by being here. So sorry. It's called it, sunshine and legalized marijuana. Yes, <laughs> it is. That's, Even the that's dog the formula. <laughs> yeah, but anyway. Man. Wyatt, no, no, dog, uh, Wyatt, the dog that's on the front cover of the Grinder Blues album, he's like 13 years old and he or 14, 15, something like that. He can barely get around. So we've been giving him edibles, you know, doggy edibles. And he's just wow. so happy laying around stone. <laughs> it's really cool because he's got arthritis. He's got cancer and he, he's just always miserable. Now he just lays there and looks up like, hey, when are we going to eat? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome dude. that's amazing wow oh, it's, it's it's nice of you to give him that life yeah <laughs> well Holy you've crap. you've accomplished not to jump right in but you've accomplished some amazing things and i love your story and i'm wondering just for the people who may not be familiar with you if you can tell us a little bit about um your upbringing and how you got into music because you actually you had a really big arc throughout your life it seems you started <laughs> you know it's you know, you had a really interesting childhood situation and went through a lot of stuff. And I think it would mean a lot for some of the listeners to hear, you know, how you kind of got to where you are. Ooh, uh, it's a big question, but we'll, we'll get into yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so long. Anything specific could help. Uh, well, 
Because I, I mean, could go on for an hours about that. I love talking about yeah, it. Yeah, Siobhan. Don't we all? Don't, don't we love talking about it? Don't leave us so open-ended. No, well, okay, okay, so, so one, a, no, one thing you mentioned, okay, so you you were raised a, a lot by your great-grandmother, right? So right. you weren't living with parents. So can you tell us a little bit about that, how that kind of affected yeah, you growing yeah. up and how you got into music, maybe? Yeah, my mom told me that I love music and I would cry when she turned the record player off. It was a record player at that time, too, 78s, actually. Uh, there were no 45s at that time. And uh, uh, she said I would go, give me yay, give me yay. And she didn't know what I was saying, but I think all I must have been hearing was, yeah, 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 because it was rock and roll music. And uh, I must have been, I want to hear that, yay. And, uh, but from that point on, she said I was singing before I could talk. And, and so I was just always obsessed with music my whole life. So everything I heard in school, if it was show music, it was jazz, it was Frank Sinatra, whatever it was, I just honed right in on it because I just loved it. And I think that my mom left me when I was three and my great grandmother raised me. And she was a very strict religious woman, wouldn't let me do anything. Everything was sin. And she told me my mom didn't want to be bothered with me. And I think I, I fell into my own little world and just ab absorbed music. Um, later on, when I was about when I met my dad, when I was about 15, he took me to his sister's house and I found out she's been playing piano since she was three. So my dad's side of the family uh, they they can yeah they're real talented basically and so I figure that's where I got it from because on my mom's side where I grew up they played music everything jazz blues uh, even country music I'd go to relatives house and they had they were honed in on something and it was the Chicago blues era in the 50s so uh, the guy in the, the, the brother in the car would come down in his Cadillac and pull out all the new Muddy Waters and B.B. King records or whatever was out and I had some relatives who'd buy those records and they'd go play them on the front porch on the record player. So I was always around the sound of music and I would just sit in front of the stereos and listen and drink it all up. Yeah, that's amazing. At, at what point did you start like singing or actually engaging in music, you know, on your own or playing in uh, bands uh, or getting involved? Well, I remember the first time I sang, I was probably about five or six and this lady got on her knees and she was crying. And she started praying for me in tongues. She was this Pentecostal woman. And she said, God, make him a leader. Make him this. You've given him this gift. And I remember I just kind of looking around going, I want to go outside and play. You know, <laughs> I mean, I didn't know what she was doing. But um, and I remember I sang with my cousin and my mom when I was really little, because I remember I had to, my hand had to be held. So I was really small, but I remember my cousin Alberta saying to me, Dougie, this, you sing this part and we'll sing this part. And she sang me this part and I sang the part. Um, so I just kind of it's, it's been something that just kind of came in and out just enough to keep me interested so I can continue on my own. Um, yeah, there was always there was always that sound of music around. I was pretty obsessed with it. And, and I had school teachers who seemed, uh, they seemed to take a liking to me because they saw that I could do these things and they would put me in contest. I remember I always won uh, the blue ribbon in grade school when I sang the contest, you know, and it was like, I was the only black kid in my school. And so this little black kid up there singing his little heart out, you know, it was like, I don't know. Uh, it, you know, it got me through a lot, I guess, you know, of the abandonment and of the my great-grandmother making me, uh, 
mainly stay home most of the time. If I ever got to go to my relatives, I'd stay for a half hour, an hour. She wouldn't let me stay any longer and play with my cousins. So uh, it was a sort of an abusive place. But what I got good at was remembering that song. I'd go to my cousin's yeah. house and I'd put that song on and I'd play it three or four times. And I would go home. And this is the honest truth. <laughs> I just re remember this too. I would go home and I used to make this record player. I used to take a plate and I would draw around it. Then I'd take the cardboard and cut it. And then I'd set it there. And then I'd, my grandmother, she sewed a lot. She always broke her thimbles that, that stuck the needle through the cloth. And she'd give it to me. And I would take that and find a knife and balance it and put it on this round thing and sing the song and put, move the needle over as I sang it. But this, wow. the thing that used to get me upset was I never could finish the song because I didn't know I had ADD. I didn't know. I never could finish a song. And um, and I always wondered why I could never finish anything. It used to frustrate me because I'd go, I'd be in the other side of my room playing and doing my thing. I'd go, oh, I forgot the song. You know, I'd run back and Jimmy, 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 Jimmy. And all of a sudden, I'd be on the other side of the room drawing something, you know. So I was all over the place. But anyway, yeah, that was my childhood. Yeah. Wow. That's that's something I think a lot of people, the ADD at least, that a lot of musicians can relate to. I'm, yeah. At what point, did, when did you discover that you actually had that? That's kind of interesting because I think a lot of people, I know my sister went through that where she went all through high school and yeah. struggled a lot with that. And it, it took a while to figure out that that's what her problem was. I actually found out probably 20 years ago. Oh, when, my gosh. Yeah. I, I finally figured that's what your problem is because, you know, I, I've struggled with all my life. I just thought I was stupid, really, literally. I just thought you just kind of slow. You just can't remember this stuff. I don't know my times tables. I don't know a prepositional phrase. I um I can't I can't see numbers in my head at all. You tell me to divide something, subtract something, and I can't even remember the number that you gave me so that I could just subtract the number that I I'll have. I'll trade in my you head. all those things to sing like you. <laughs> Right now, oh, thank you. literally, thank you. because uh, dude, because there could be a million people that can do five minus seven and they'll know it's <laughs> negative two. There's million billions of people, but there's only like Miles Kennedy, like who we talked to recently. Miles. And then uh, and then what? Glenn Hughes. And like, yeah. I don't know, one other person probably singing in some church somewhere, just murdering it that like could sing <laughs> like you, dude. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I, I, I have voices in my head all the time. I can't even pay attention to anything. I, my, my fiance gets mad at me for leaving the cupboards open. And I'm like, I, I just have so much going on. She's yeah. like, stop multitasking. I'm like, I don't have a choice. I'm an innocent you know, bystander to the thing in my mind that's just moving nonstop. It does. It never stops. It's just always fires. But, you know, I, I found out for so late in life, but, uh, you know, in school, I, I flunked everything in school from first grade till I graduated from high school. And my teacher said, you're not stupid, so I'm going to let you go. But I, I literally never got anything above an F, which was fail. Uh, the only thing I got an A plus in was art and music all through wow. school. It, it, all through school, A plus. Leverage you your know. strengths, Doug. Yeah. Leverage well, it. Now I know, and I'm good. I'm good with it. it. Just took a long time to figure it out. Well, yeah, it's. I mean, school still to this day is is not structured around the creative mind. I mean, it's no, all no. you know, multiple choice, and it's very for one type of thinking. So it's, yeah. I can imagine. Yeah, it's it's no reflection on anybody <laughs> if they fail. You know, it's that's difficult. Um, Makes but good I wanna, music though. 
Oh, yeah, so yeah, for do you sure. think you took it out on your wrists? Because, man, I, I, did. I, I like to go and refresh my memory. And, like, I was listening to a bunch of King's X earlier. And it just always reminds me how fucking funky good old-fashioned mm. rock and roll can be with mm. some heavy guitars. And one of the things I just love about your voice is that you sound like the guy that came from the church choir singing over, like, if Soundgarden was a little bit more Zappa. And all of a sudden, the truth is, is you really did sing like in choirs and all that. And your, and your voice is yeah, just tremendous, dude. But <laughs> Thank you. What, what really do you draw your inspiration from? Because you are different than anybody else I've ever seen Whoa. play left-handed bass. Wow. <laughs> There's a lot of influences. Um, Chris Squire is my favorite bass player. But when I saw Jimmy Page, when I was, you know, uh, what was it? What was the picture of him with the, the bell bottoms and his Les Paul was like hanging on his knee with this skinny strap. I looked at that picture back in 71, I think it was. And I went, that is the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. And that's why, that's why I play my bass so low with a skinny strap. And the other thing is, you know, I just been singing all my life and I love voices and, and I just, you know, back in the day, we didn't have a lot of singers. So what you liked, you listened to. So like, say, for instance, uh, Respect by Aretha Franklin, Dr. Feelgood, say, for instance. Um, I could sing Dr. Feelgood without singing it. I can mimic every nuance that she did when she sang it. That's how we listened to people back then, because we didn't have all this noise now. Um, so when I listened to something, I didn't just hear it. I dug into it and I had to, I had to hear every inflection and everything that they did. And the reason why <clears throat> is because going to a, a, a black church and hearing people sing like this, you know, there's certain inflections, there's certain words they said, there's certain notes that they would hit where it would strike a chord and that old lady would jump up and scream, you know, or somebody would sing a song. And by the time they got done wearing you out, half the church is out in the street shouting and screaming i mean literally i lived amongst that that kind of excited gospel stuff when a person got up to sing we had church i mean people were dancing singing and passing out and and it was all because this person was singing something and they said it at the right time they said the right words hit the right notes they went up at the right time and there's an art in it and it's been passed down generation generation in the black church now nowadays white kids sing like that because it's it's all over the place you know i mean we've mm -hmm. we it's it's homogenized into what it is now but when i was boys to men was, ruined it for everybody man <laughs> those guys those dudes could sing they were yeah. coolie high harmony all the way man yes, I, I thought when i was like seven eight whatever i mm -hmm. thought that those guys first off i never wanted a red suit more in my life and I'm a twin. I'm like, oh, man. And, and then it was the first time I realized that, like, you know, my favorite song by Billy Joel was For the Longest Time. And that's just acapella. And yeah. like, you, you know what I mean? Like, it's voice, that all yeah. comes from 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 the church, man, from the from Chicago blues. All That's got to be where it comes from. Right. Like, yeah. Educate yeah. Uh, me. Uh, Tell me more. Uh, Tell also, me. Also set me straight. Bluegrass. Also, there's bluegrass. You know, bluegrass is white man's blues to me. And when I hear somebody go and they do that harmony thing, I get goosebumps. You know, it's it's all in the way you manipulate your voice and it's learned. It's not fake. It's 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 what we do is when you speak, when you learn how to go, I love you. I love you. You can emulate how you feel the way you say that when you sing a song. It's the same way.
you say the words, you you say the phrase like you would be speaking to somebody. Baby, I love you. You don't go, baby, I love you. You don't do that. <laughs> you get you get down in it. You just you you reach inside and go, how do I feel and how would I talk to this person? And that's how we do it. Um, and that's what soul music is to me. Um, you know, and and it's just a genre of music. There's a there's a genre of music that a lot of people like, which is I say it's like a Marshall on ten. That voice it never gets louder or softer. It just stays in that one gravel point, and they sing, and it's like that's a genre too. So there's so many different types of uh, singing, you know, that there is. But I tapped into that soul thing, you know, in the '70s, being in me in my twenties in the '70s, everybody sang like that. You know, every white guy wanted to be in a black rock band. You know, from Robert Plant to Glenn Hughes, all of us, we tried to, we all tried to sing like that. And since I loved rock and roll, you know, my voice just fit in with, with Ian Gillen and everybody else. We were all singing the same things and we're listening yeah. to the same people. And, you know, Paul Rogers, one of my favorite singers, you know, I mean, he listened to exactly who I listened to and got the same influences, you know. And then when I heard him, I put all the, my influences together and then listened to him put them together and and took from him and tried to perfect it even more. You know, it's it's just the way when you hear somebody sing and they move you to the point where you have goosebumps and you are an emulator, you want to learn how to do that, too. What Paul Rogers song? Are we talking right. free era? Are we talking oh, yeah, bad company? Get, well, bad what's company the one we're talking too, about? Even now, even what, now. Paul, what's going to give me the hardcore, the hardcore goosebumps? If no one's heard Paul Rogers sing, we'll give him one song. Um, um, Mr. Big live when he was oh, 19 yeah. years old. And when you hear him sing, you go, I remember you used, we used to sit there, me and my cousin, and go, how does this white boy sing this good? Because we never heard a white boy <laughs> sing like that. Back in in seventy one, and we listened to go. How does where did he learn it? He's from England too. And we would just sit there. I remember my cousin brought that record over. And we put it on, and we our jaws in the ground because at that point, even Janis Joplin didn't sound black to us. You know, we were real picky about sounding black, and everybody wanted to sound black, but they just that they didn't get that little thing. But Paul got it, and from that point on, it was over. The, the game was over and uh, we've been fighting ever since. <laughs> That's so interesting. Well, yeah, you you must have a very unique uh, perspective because, you know, you were around growing up musically as Zeppelin came out, right? Like all oh, these yeah. people that, you know, all of us look up to, but we weren't yeah. around when they were, you know, like breaking out. So what what was that like? How were you discovering music? It and was, you know, on It top- was awesome. I saw Black Sabbath in 71 on the Masters Reality Tour. In a little play, little theater, I remember a wall of amps and they were just like really dark. And I remember I loved the record and I just kind of went home and I'm going, wow, that was pretty cool. You know, and it was like you just didn't realize what you were seeing. You just went and you, you just felt like it was it was our music. It was our people. We had long hair. We were hippies. We were making this music and we were all trying to make it together. I was in a band trying to do the same thing. I didn't have the goods that they had at that moment, you know, in um, Led Zeppelin. I remember my friend brought over Led Zeppelin one or two and I put on I put it on. And I heard and this is the first time first real rock record I had heard. And it, and it went. And I sat there and going. Wow, that sounds like Booker T and the MGs with no keyboards. And that's and it's harder. And I my honed right into it. 
because I heard I hear music differently. I hear it from what I've heard before. And what I want to hear is you reinterpret something that's moved me. Give me a turn me up a little bit, twist it a little bit, take me in a different direction. And Led Zeppelin did that. They made it heavier. And then all of a sudden, Band of Gypsies pop up and I'm going, whoa, because I'm going to Jimi Hendrix. So he's okay, but he's really psychedelic. I'm not I wasn't getting into him at that moment. But when he did Band of Gypsies with Buddy Miles, which was the, the soul god at the time for me, they grooved that shit so hard with a heavy guitar. And I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to play as heavy soul music, as heavy as I can make it, you know, and, uh, and I've been trying to do that ever since, actually. But that's where that all came from, the 70s, where it's like a real stomping grounds for me. I didn't start playing bass loss 23. And when I heard Roundabout, when I heard that bass tone, I thought, what the fuck is this? He didn't play like Jamie Jameson from uh, Motown that I was really into at the time. Um, he, he, he could. But then he played all this complicated stuff and these double picking things. And all of a sudden, these two genres started to mesh. And, and Chris Squire could just go, and I'm going, whoa. And then he goes, and I'm going, wait a minute. I ain't never heard no bass player do that. And all of a sudden, he just opened these doors up that said, you can groove, but you can put a twist on it and make it complicated. And when I went to college, um, I was... I only lasted a month because I did it to dodge the draft because I was going to get drafted. I was 18 at the time. And um, I took a music theory class and the teacher said the first thing he said to us was, if you don't learn anything from this class, always remember this thing that all music that's it was music is created to uh, all rules in music are were made to be broken. That's what he said. Sorry, uh -huh. I had to get that right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All rules in music were made to be broken. And that's the biggest thing I took from him. And that's my philosophy is everything that I, anything that I make music, any, let me backtrack. Anytime I try to make music, I try to put a little twist on it just to do that because I can and we should because that's what inspires each other. Those little things that other bands have done or other musicians have done that inspired me, spawned me to do something that I've done that spawned someone to do something else, you know? Well, and, let me uh, ask you this, because I saw, mm -hmm. I, the, the first time I actually got to see you live, like mm -hmm. for real, you, you were doing the Hendrix Experience mm -hmm. with Joe, oh, uh, this, this little unknown guitarist named Joe Satriani and this yeah. little dude that sometimes <laughs> plays drums named Kenny Arnoff. Mm -hmm. And uh, first off, Listen, man, you're a power trio guy, but can we say like, holy fuck? Because <laughs> Joe Satriani is like a power trio by himself. And then Kenny Arnoff, like that dude hits so hard, but makes it look so easy. It's obnoxious yeah. as he's smiling with the longest scarf, like five feet <laughs> off the stage. And then you just walk on stage, play murderous bass, by the way, in front of Billy Cox. All right. And you sing so perfectly. What does it feel like growing up like thinking maybe that guy's a little psychedelic, but now he's got it in Band of Gypsies. And then you're on stage, flash forward to Joe Satriani there, Kenny Arnoff behind you, and everyone that loves uh, Hendrix in front of you, and you're educating them. Like, what's, how do you feel now? It was surreal. It really was. Um, being, being with the guys that I learned how to play with, you know, Billy Cox, loved my pedal and bought two of them. 
told me he learned he told me he learned a few things from what I was doing up there on stage. And I told him, I said, I learned how to play from band of gypsies, you know, it's like, and then, and then, and then, uh, um, um, Taj Mahal says, dude, I come from a long family line of bass players. I'm a bass player. I'm not really a guitar player. He said that to me. And he says, and I hate picks. He said, but you, you use a pick, you badass. <laughs> and I go, well, thanks. And then, and then he, they start telling me all this history about bass, but they, I felt like the little kid, who was the little brother who they, I looked up to him, you know, it was, it was so nice to be the younger guy and really be like, Whoa, you know, and they told me stories and I sat and listened to them instead of me telling stories, you know, and it was, it, it was very surreal to get to know them and the humility, the humbleness and how easy going they were. They taught me that, 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 yeah, this is where we're going when we get into our 70s and 80s. It, 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 you know, life, life is easier. You know, you just kind of lighten up. Life ain't so hard. You don't, man, they even taught me how to lighten up on myself. You know, it was just so well, cool. Well, Dave Mustaine lightened up a bunch. He took a wah pedal out for the first time on tour and it made <laughs> yeah. Blabbermouth front page news that Dweezil Zappa was kind enough to be like, yo, man, maybe you should use a wah pedal. And that was front page metal news from Good that tour. When, like, when, when you three are like, I, yeah, poor Dave. So poor. <laughs> no, Dave was just feeling unsure about playing. He told us that he just felt like real insecure about playing the Hendrix stuff because he wasn't a, he really? wasn't a real Hendrix shredder like everybody else was. And, and he hung out with us and John and, and we just told me, I get out there and do your thing, man. Do you, you know, do your. Uh, I love Megadeth, by the way. Just, uh, he's just not um, nice to me normally. And, uh, well, he's not. He's, he's he's one of those people. You just got to get to know him. I don't, I never know if he's nice or not. I, I just got like that. <laughs> this is who you are. And I'll just take it. You know, whatever, <laughs> whatever you're giving me, I'm not going to read between the lines and be insecure about it. I'm just going to just, you know, let you be you because that's 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 what you do with, with people who you don't understand. Right. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, so going back to, you know, you talked a lot about some of your influences and people that inspired you going back to when you were young, how, you know, you were going to concerts, but how were you like living with your great grandmother? Where, where were you listening to music or getting these records yeah. or you, you referenced some of your family? I, I I'm just curious I, to hear. Yeah, I wasn't getting any records. I was just going to relatives house and listening. And then I got real good at memorizing. That's that was the thing. I really listened really closely. And I, I, I'm a real tone fanatic. And I always would see a knob, a treble knob, and then there was a bass knob, and then there was a mid-range knob, and there was graphic equalizers. Through the years of of being an EQ freak, even as a child, I was running up to the stereo and turning that treble up or the bass down, trying to make it sound like I thought it should sound. So I was. I, I guess I just got real good at really listening quick because I knew that I'll, you know, you got to remember, I memorize this when you're a kid, kids memorize things really quick anyway. But I went at home. The one thing at my grandmother's house that was cool was that she had these Pentecostal people come down to her house maybe once a month. And there was a husband and wife and they had another guy and he brought a uh, Fender Stratocaster with a twin reverb and had a tremolo in the, in the, uh, in the amp and um and he played like pop staples he just had that the staple if you ever heard of staple singers they're like one of the first gospel bands and he played like that 
and they used to sing around, oh Lord, come on, and they just sit out in the front yard, and I would just sit there and listen. And I never thought about playing the guitar. I just remember the sound, that how how good it felt. And um, and the only thing my grandmother would play in the house was Moody Bible Institute music, and in which was sounded like a funeral. Uh, it was so 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 sad. I mean, I still cry yeah. when I hear it. Yeah, yeah. Literally, literally, it was funeral music. And uh, and my aunt used to come over every now with a record player and bring her Mahalia Jackson record over. I'm going to move on up a little higher. And I would just listen to that and listen to her sing. Because Mahalia Jackson was the first gospel singer that ever made a record in the black community. So that's all we heard back in the day. It was on Apollo Records, this little green label, of this record. And I loved records, too. If, if the record spun, I'd put that needle on it. I would sit there and go, how does that make that noise? How does that do that? Do you think, because you, you said you're ADD earlier, like I am. Mm-hmm, do you think that mm-hmm. that's what actually slowed down your brain? Because it sounds to me like, because you say you memorize things. And mm-hmm. I, we find a lot of the people, I mean, look, man, you're one of a huge influence on me. So you clearly understand music. Do you think that you, whatever happened with music, the way it made you feel slowed mm-hmm. your brain down enough that you're able to memorize things and actually internalize them where normally you feel like you're, you're slow? But like yeah, the music, it seems like you're, you're, you're light years beyond me and everyone. <laughs> well, I'm older too. Um, um, oh, how do I, how, I had, I, uh, mm, slow down brain. It's called I had a whole bunch of things I was going to say. Which, yeah. My, st- what? Um, no, that's, well, Ben likes to ask these massive questions that I, have, I like, know. And I had all the answers, but they can't, they, I, when he said the last thing, I forgot what the first does thing was. Does music slow your brain him. down? To yes. be able to, oh, to make your own music. Yes. What music does is it slows my brain down because timing, as soon as I hear that click, 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 I feel my body slow down. And all of a sudden, You're everything. Like calibrated. Yeah. Yes. And everything starts to make sense. And you know, my hand starts to strum right. Everything moves correctly. But if I don't have that constant, I'm just frantic all the time. Um, and But the thing about music also is, I, I learned by ear. I, I, it, I have to memorize it. I, I learned, I, I played sax when I was 12 and I learned notes and I learned how to CD, EFG and where the notes were and where my fingers were supposed to go, but I couldn't separate the two. Um, I needed to either learn where the notes were in my head and make my own stuff up or look at the notes and read them. And it was very confusing to me. And I didn't like reading the notes. It was too confining. So I ended up stopped playing saxophone because I really didn't know that you could really sit there and go because nobody told me. Um, <laughs> but I, no, yeah, there's, when, you, when you're on your own and you're trying to figure all these things out, you just, it just takes you longer to, to, uh, to get a lot of things. But I think that because of that, you get to peel away a lot of layers of layers like an onion to get down to the bottom line it's like you know when i when i'd watch a record player go around i go how does that spin and one day i looked underneath it and it had a little motor in it, and the record player was going slow and i pulled the motor out and clean we used some alcohol and clean them clean the spinner out and put it back in and going maybe this will help it work and it spun again you know and so it was like i want to know it all I mean, I've gotten shot so many times pulling stereos apart and put my hand <laughs> on the tube and shit, you know. It's just like, you know, it's it's all, a bit, I've always been s- deeply intrigued by 
the metaphysics of sound, not only playing it, but the sonics of when it comes out and how it, what it does to you and how it moves you. And, you know, the Bible says, let there be light. And it was light. I do believe that, 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 that there's somehow we can numerically or verbally do things, create things, you know, and, you know, if you sonic energy, you know, you can blow walls down with it. You can manipulate people, you know, to feel better, you know, so it's a, it's an amazing thing. You know, it's a very empathic, um, empowering thing. I'd yeah, say. It's, it's powerful that you, that you have the perspective of not only creating the music, but also the, the sonic and the technical aspect of it. And I, I, uh, I heard in, in a, in another interview, you talking about your most recent, uh, solo record. Uh, and did you do the production and mixing on that? Yeah, that, the whole I did so, everything on that record. So that's that's except, a, that's an incredible undertaking, you know, just just uh, from being able to take the music and create the music, but also package it in a way for people to hear it in the way you want them to hear. It. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, it was it was a lot of fun making that record because being home for two years and not going anywhere, I got to finally learn my studio. Uh, my Pro Tools and all that, cause, cause, yeah, I've been writing music since I was 18, and I just write and write and write and write, and then a four track came along, and I, oh my God, and a drum machine comes along, oh, you know, you just keep on building and working until you get Pro Tools, and you, then all of a sudden you got superior drums and you got plugins, and and there's no stopping. I remember a friend of mine, <laughs> I, I I played him the song that I had written with superior drums the first time I got him, and he texted me back and said, "Okay, Doug, there's no stopping you now." And I go, "Oh, cool!" You know, and it was just it was very encouraging. Here's how I look at it. To make a long story short, if you've written, been writing songs since you were 18. And it's been 50 years or 60 years. You just got to get better at what you do. It might be ACDC and it's the same song over and over again. But when you see ACDC live, you get goosebumps hearing them do that same song over and over again. And it's all about doing what you do and keep doing it. A lot of people think that by the time you're 25 years old and you didn't make it, it's over. Well, I, we didn't get a record deal until I was 38. And now I'm 70 and I'm still making music. And like one time about 30 years ago or 20 years ago, Yoko Ono, who was 70 at the time, had a hit record. And they said, Yoko Ono at 70 years old has a hit record. And I'm thinking, whoa, we can keep doing this. <laughs> we can keep doing this. We, we can, we can, we can make versus music. Yoko Ono? And, I feel and, like and Yoko going, Ono well, is yeah, more surprising. But, but I'm I'm still thinking though I'm going well okay I can keep making music we can keep going you don't ever have to stop and and you only get better and better so this record Joy Bomb my point is I really am proud of this record first record I've ever done that I'm proud of because I in my own heart I nailed it the best I could next record I got some more ideas. Because I got to, you know, there's, uh, it, it still lacks in my mind things. But, but, uh, but on this record, I just look, I play it and I go, I ain't got no complaints for once. On all the goddamn records I've made in my whole life. I mean, and I've made a lot of records. This is one record where I don't walk away going, oh my God. That's incredible. You know? That's and, incredible. And, 
and that makes me happy and I, and and it makes me happy that every that so many people like it because now I can rejoice with them. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's funny it's you mentioned that like, you know, you finished it but you're still like i have ideas for the next one and i'm excited oh, yeah. to, to do more things and and one of the things that that i run into with clients working in my studio and i'm sure ben you know has the same thing is a lot of people and these these are young guys like you know i work with people much younger than, than myself that are doing their first recordings and they are so terrified to put out one song because it's not perfect and, and they, they'll record it, they'll go through the whole process and then decide that, oh, you know what, this is, I, I'm not actually that good, I'm not going to release this. And, and it's like, dude, put it out and then use that as motivation to do the next one better instead of hiding your, your creations away. And you, I'm going to show them this episode of this podcast Please <laughs> because do. The, the, what you're saying is that like, you know, you've been doing this for so long mm-hmm. and it doesn't stop. You're, you're always going to try to do better and that's why you keep creating this amazing music. You know, you know, decade, decade after decade. That's amazing. Here's an amazing one, lesson. Here's one thing that I used to always do, because being a severe insecure person, one thing I still had to do was when I wrote a song, I had to play it for somebody and tell those guys when they write that song, play it for their friends, play it for whoever wants to hear it and see what they react, see if they like it, see if they don't take Take it all. If they don't, if they talk through it, that's okay. Doesn't mean it's a bad song. Just play it for people. Get used to the scrutinizing. Get used to playing a song in front of a whole bunch of people going, hey, man, check out my new song. And nobody says nothing. You know, go, okay, well, they didn't care for that one. Well, I'm going to write another one. Next week, hey, man, I wrote another song. Check this out. And go, oh, man, dude, that's a great song. You go, yeah. And you go home and you build upon that. Because yeah. you, you the, that's the only way you can get better. You ca, you, you got to get shit on to get better. And you and hey, you're a fucking idiot if you think that you're gonna put a couple songs out and everybody's gonna like it. And you're a goddamn fool if you think everybody's gonna like anything that you do, a hundred percent. So do what you do and enjoy what you do. It's a journey. It you will keep going and going and going, and you look back and go, "Wow, look at all that! What happened?" It's so In funny you life. say that. It's amazing, it's man. Journey. It's, it's, it's a fucking advice. journey. Yeah, it's it's so funny you say that because the guy that actually helps edit the show, he's a, he's like an intern for us and he's an incredible guitarist. In fact, he came up to me when I was DJing uh, a private party and he was like, "Yo, man, like, can I do like what you do?" And then like one day I called him and. He, he's like, uh, uh, all right, I'll come down. And I, and I said to him, like, I'll help you with music. So I help him write two songs and he's all excited. He's like, I know people now I've done this. I've done that. He puts the songs out, gets all excited. He's like, so what's next, man? I'm like, what's next about what? He's like, but I put out these two songs and I'm like, yeah, but and he's like, more. But they're, but they're awesome. And Do I'm like, two more. Yeah. Like my mom thought they were awesome. I'm sure because she listens to everything that I've helped with, but like, who cares? And that's that's the thing you have to learn. Just like what you're saying is that if you play to nobody, like if like mm-hmm. there's like, the thing with Instagram and Facebook is you can you could be in your bedroom just filming something and edit, editing it together. But there's something about being in front of actual people playing actual music and doing it for real that you can't have somebody who just sit sat in front of YouTube and can play like Eddie Van Halen sound right. like Eddie Van Halen despite being able to play immaculately. And that's and, the difference. And if you're making music 
um, for people to like, then you're in the wrong business. Yeah. I mean, period. I mean, if you're not writing the music because you love it and you love it so much, you want people to hear it and you're willing to let them hear it and decide if they like it or not. If you can't do that, you're wasting your fucking time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is something we talk with a lot of our guests about is the the idea of, you know, evolving even over the course of your career and how you have to continue to always do what feels best for you without being so caught up in what people are going to like, even the fans that you've built over time, you know? Right. And and always learn and always be open, you know, learn to push a button, learn something new, learn some new twists. When you say that, when you say that, just to be open, sorry to interrupt, but I think that's a fine line, right? So you want to write music for yourself. You want music that feels true to you. But I think any artist wants to play their song for other people and have them like it, right? Like, or at least at least have them enjoy. Like, That's what we want. We want that gratification, but we can't do it to get that gratification because you're not going to and you're going to be disappointed. But the gratification you get, go, thank you. And keep on going and keep on perfecting you. And if the one, the next person says, uh, I'm not into it, I don't get it. Go, okay, well, you know, some people like a lot of salt in, in their tequila and some don't. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, yeah. a- am I supposed to react to that? It's like, that's life. And I come, I mean, I play in a band that never sold millions of records. And we're called a fine wine. You know, it's like people that love us fucking love us and i'm so glad and the rest of them could care less it's not that they don't like us we don't have any real haters they just don't kind of they just didn't get it which Mm -hmm. is a kiss of death but we got those people that love that fine wine and we'll make that fine wine for them and they love it because we squash that wine the way we squash it and they like the way we give it to them you know so you got to find your people and that takes time Instagram or whatever you want to do it. It takes time. It takes years. It takes years and years and years. Our first manager in King's X told us, he said, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. You can find a a bunch of people that like what you do and make a living at it. Always know that you can do that, that there's enough people out here in the world that will pay you for something that you're doing that they because they like it. So you just got to hone in on it and then put it out there and deal with the bullshit until you make it. Yeah. Along those lines, you mentioned earlier that you didn't get a record deal until you were, what, 38 or in your mid-late 30s. Can you talk Mm -hmm. about that? Because I think that's another thing that people come up against is thinking something has to happen by a certain time. And if it doesn't, I'm going to get up, you know, give up and go in another direction. So maybe you can give us some insight. You know, I always thought, you know, from the time I was 18, that whatever band I was in was going to get that record deal. We're going to be big rock stars, you know, and um, it just never happened. But I just didn't give up. I think because it wasn't that wasn't the reason why I was doing this, even though I didn't know it at the time. Um, people did say, why don't you stop playing that rock music? Or, you know, a lot of black folks would say to me, why are you playing that white boy music? If you play soul music, you might make it, you know, and and I just kind of go. It would just kind of bounce off my head because because what I what I was doing, it had nothing to do with making money. When the first time I ever got paid playing was in King's X and we were doing cover music. I remember we, we, we made 15 bucks a piece doing some cover tunes, like, like a few months into being a band in like eight, 1980. And I went, Oh wow, I guess this makes me professional. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, 
and, and I, I was, you know, I was 31 years old at that time. So, you know, it wasn't about money. I never made any money. I played for free and didn't ever thought about asking for money or any anything else. You know, it wasn't it just. Yeah, it, it just didn't have anything to do with it. Nowadays, you know, there's so much there's so much um, static about being a star and hits and likes and looks. And it's a whole nother world now. I don't know how how I don't know how to counsel people that have to deal with that because I didn't, you know, I was pretty a little bit more simple for me. It was like, you can be president or you can play music, you know, what you want to do or, <laughs> or, or, or work at the factory. And, you know, and that was it. You know, we didn't have nothing. Um, we didn't have internet. We didn't have cell phones. Um, you know, I didn't even know when Zeppelin played in Chicago, I missed it. You know, it's like, you know, only thing we knew, I mean, I had circus magazine. I got that once a month. So, you know, we didn't. I didn't know what Led Zeppelin looked like until it was 1976 when they'd made the movie. You know, and I thought the 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 third album, Robert Plant's hair was all over, and I thought he had blonde hair and he had a big afro or something. I was going, "What do they look like?" They never show their picture. You know, and nowadays it's a whole nother world, which I don't know how to relate to. The only thing I can do is encourage young people to to that this is an adventure and it's your adventure. And it's your way. You got to learn, you know, your thing, but it's what you do and just put your heart into it and go for it. And, and, and don't say, don't say never and walk through every door that you feel good about. You know, I feel yeah. like this old, this, I feel like this old guy that's halfway up the mountain and he's looking down going the youngest going, I know it's hard. I know you can do it. Come on, grab my <laughs> hand. Come on. It's all you got to do is these little things. Come on. One more step. You know, it's not the end. You know, we're still getting up there, you know, and that's that's what I feel about life now. You know, especially in my 70s, they say 70s and they said they say 70s is your best years and they only keep getting better. That's what I saw in this psychological thing. And it's honest, God, truth. When I turned 70, it was like all of a sudden it's like I look back and go, all that shit that used to bother me just kind of. Just didn't make sense anymore. You know, I just I don't got time to deal with that. I don't care. You know, and it was all of a sudden things lightened up. So I guess my point is, you know, you get midlife crisis and you get 45 and 50 and you feel like it's the end of the world. No, you're just at the bottom. Now you're going up and it, and you won't stop going up. And your 60s will get better when you get to 70. All of a sudden you go, whoa, I don't give a fuck no more. Let's go. <laughs> you know, and, um, I can't, you know, what happens when I get 80? I have an aunt who's 103. And it's wow. like, Aunt Martha, it's just like, how you doing? She says, I'm doing fine. Okay, well, I'll talk to you again. She says, well, I don't know if I'll wake up tomorrow, but if I do, I'll see you. <laughs> we just, we crack up laughing, you know? It's like, it's a beautiful thing to, um, to celebrate life. That's what it's all about. Celebrate your life. It's a, it's a, it, 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 it goes too quick. It goes yeah. way too quick. I woke up one day and go, oh, my God. It's like, I'm here. I'm old. I can't say I'm in. I'm a, a, I am. I am getting Social Security. I'm a senior fucking citizen. It's like I'm going, God. But but that's what. But 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 don't get me wrong, because I love it. And I'm going to keep making music because now I think I got a handle on who I am, what I'm doing. And what what you know, it's I feel like I just graduated college, the college of life. And now it's time to go out and kind of put 
put down all the shit that I'm learning. You know, well, I, th I think you're you're living proof that music keeps you young. Can I and, can I tell you if I worked at McDonald's and you, and you wanted the cheaper coffee because you said that you were a senior <laughs> citizen, I would actually I would card you. Like, sir, I'd be like, yes, Yo, bro, I'm gonna need some Yo, proof. Bro, you know what? You can't even be pushing fifty, dude. Like, nah, bro. <laughs> Like, it. So, but if you do get me a coffee at the at the senior citizen price at McDonald's when you're in that place. Okay. No, but you've okay. touched on a lot of amazing points that, like, even like the three of us in our 30s, you know, look down at some of the younger kids like that are on TikTok and all this, and it's like there is a severe lack of patience. And the second something gets stressful or difficult, it's like, okay, let me anxiously scroll through my Instagram and like right. that concept of like perspective and of slowing down and understanding that there is a journey and that you have to, you know, be patient and have that perspective. It's, it's a lot, it's hard, you know, technology and all the stuff that we have now to deflect that. Yeah. Kids you know, are scared too. Kids are scared too. I mean, I've got my nieces and nephews and God kids and stuff and they're all, you know, 12, 13, 14. And they're saying, uncle Doug, you know, what do I got to look forward to? The world's going to end. They've screwed it all up. You know, I don't want to be an adult. They're, they're scared. You know, and it's like all this, we've just given them, we've just scared them to death. It's and, and that's why they're, you know, they're doing horrible things to themselves. And they're so depressed because they don't, they don't, they don't have that hope like we had. When I had, I grew up in the 50s. We were told you can do anything, be anything you want. Life was easy, you know, and now it's like, you know, kids are stressing out at five years old because they don't know what they want to be, a doctor or a lawyer. And their parents are going, well, we're going to put them in a school, you know, in first grade that teaches them, you know, and the kid doesn't even know who he is. He yeah. even, you know what I'm saying? It's like, how can we fix that? I don't know. You tell I don't them know to be a bass can. player is what you tell them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be a bass player. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't have to worry about anything at that point. Everyone needs a bass yeah. player. You're fine. <laughs> It's hard to tell a it's hard to tell a mother that when her son says he won't put the guitar down and he's failing in school we're going to have to take it away from him and I look at her and I say I know you're not going to like me saying this but this is what he's going to do he's not going to get good grades in school either you're going to have to let him go do this or he's just going to have to be unhappy and take the guitar away from him and he's just not going to and I remember every time I've said that, and I've only said it twice to some friends of mine, and they turn their eyes this way, and they did, wouldn't argue with me. We just walked away and never said a word. And these both of these kids became guitar players, and you know, and they did their thing, you know. Uh, and I'm glad that the moms let them go because the kids came back after after they got into their 30s, they gave up. Got married, had kids, and went home and joined the church and became a part of the family again. So everything worked out. But you gotta, yeah. you gotta find your own journey. You gotta let it, let your kid go find his journey, you know, and just keep an eye on it. <laughs> it's it's weird that like that that avenue and that career path of being in you know in the arts and entertainment realm is not shown to most people, and it's people have to stumble upon. I. I worked a nine to five job for 10 years before I realized that I could actually support myself as a full-time musician. Mm. And I wish that like I had known 10 years yeah. earlier that, that, it, that it was even an option. It was always presented as like, that's a yeah. hobby. It's a hobby. Mm -hmm. You do that yeah. on the side. Um, and I, there's definitely a lot of kids that I think struggle. Like you said, you know, even well, if it's, it, it's, yeah. here's, um, here's a little advice and this is what I did. And this is not in, in um, 
you know, you have to meet people 50, 50 and you got to give and you got to take, this is how you get through life. When you're between 20 and 30, the last thing a musician needs is a day job. He does not need a job. He needs to practice and learn his skill and play and do what he does. Now, me in my 20s, between 20 and 30, literally, this is what I did. I lived with people. I was a sponge, but I cleaned their house. I babysat. I cooked for them. I took care of them. They were sad when I left, and I didn't pay a fucking dime. And I got to play my music and do what I wanted to, but I paid them. Get what I'm saying? And this is what I can't get through to a lot of people. If people will take care of you, if you take care of them, everybody wins. You don't move into, you live, sleep on somebody's couch and you have your, your, uh, 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 your titty dancer girlfriend pay for your bills and then live with drama all your life. You know, you work at what you do. If you're a good cook, if you're a good this, whatever, take care of your people that are taking care of you. That's what you do. And I, I guarantee you, they will take care of you and you will be able to hone in on what you do. And when you leave, they will be glad or they'll be sad you left and they'll be happy for you to get on with your life. And I believe that, you know, I did that. I'm living proof of it. Listen, man. Yeah. Doug, you, I, I would read your book. When's your book coming out? <laughs> <laughs> I need this advice. Um, listen, uh, th we're coming to the end of our first, our first oh. hour. I hope you'll hang with for our second hour. We do hey, have a I'm second here. hour. Um, okay. Guys, uh, obviously 2020-d.com. Uh, check out King's X. Check out uh, Doug's, uh, solo record, Joy Bomb, the newest one, Grinder Blues. Anything else you want to tell our viewers and listeners about? Um, um, no, I guess not at this moment. All right. You know, well, we got all kinds oh, of stuff coming. We're we going to come into yeah, part, two. part two. And we I got to talk about more, more about my album, more Grinder Blues, and the new oh, King's yeah, X dude. coming. Oh, well, we're going to we get into all that. We got to leave them waiting. So now, now they, if they didn't know who Doug Pinnock is now they should know we've schooled them a little bit but next time they're gonna jump right into the matrix right into the acid as it's fucking hitting yeah. full force and we're gonna go right into like what the what the fuck's going on man because i want to know and i need I more love life to hang life. with you you are so cool yeah we need more life lessons too because i i'm learning a lot here so we're learning so, we're getting a lot of perspective so stay tuned 2020 2020-d.com doug pinnock we'll see you next week Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-D.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 20 featuring David Aberziz of Pearl Jam. Check it out. It was so not my bad. The first time I talked into a microphone was accepting the 1993 Band of the Year and Album of the Year AMAs. Wow. By, my, by myself, uncoached by my so-called integral manager, by the way. Um, <laughs> just left me hanging. It was horrible, but fantastic, awesome. <laughs> Were you tripping? <laughs> no, I was stoned out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.